The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, hey, good morning, y'all. Glad you're here today. Super excited for you. I was in Nashville. That's why I did that, okay? Um, in second service today, I did that accent. I'm like, anybody from Nashville? Uh, and somebody raised their hand. I go, how was that? They're like, don't do that again. So um, anyway, I'm still learning. But hey, we're in a series called Life Hacks uh, Part 3. <clears throat> and uh, th- this series is really just, you know, Life Hacks in general is about like, here, here's an easier way to, or here's a quick, you know, thing towards. And the idea isn't necessarily like shortcuts, quick, easy, but it is realizing that in Philippians 4.8, Paul brings up a list of things that he challenges us to meditate on, to fix our minds on, and he's really serious about it. So that's why we call Life Hacks kind of a way to, to sort of hack into how we navigate life mentally and, and become who God wants us to become. So um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you got a Bible with you, I encourage you to bring one. If you got a Bible app, that's great too. Um, and there are some sheets there in the seat in front of you you can use to take notes on, especially helpful if you're in a life group. And uh, if you're not in a life group, I encourage you to look that up out in the lobby at the hub. You can sign up and we'll get you connected in a group. Um, I want to bring up some names and uh, I don't need you to say anything or necessarily respond. I just want you to process each name as I say it. So uh, Mother Teresa. Michael Jordan, Princess Diana, Britney Spears, Adolf Hitler, Mr. Rogers, Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi. Now, isn't it amazing how certain names conjure up certain thoughts and emotions? I mean, if you really think about and there's other names, and you can think of certain names and people you know, whatever, um, but uh, it, to me, it is incredible how that works. Um, way back when Heather and I were dating and she dumped me a long time ago, um, every time I heard her name, like my heart would spin out of control. You know, I think, man, she, she's so gorgeous and she's sweet and she's funny and smart and she's a catch, and, 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 and that was kind of, I remember that. And the question is like, well, what's going on here? And the truth is, um, when, when you think about an individual, what you begin to realize is that when you hear a name and you think about who they are, it, it comes down to this. You and I are characterized by our character. Now, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. We're characterized by our character. If you've been a Bible reader for any length of time, you've probably come across the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom from the Old Testament. In that book, chapter 31, the last part of it, it it, it describes what we call kind of a Proverbs 31 woman or a Proverbs 31 wife. And many of you have probably even heard that phrase. The idea as it's described in there is we're talking about a woman who is clearly smart, a woman who is creative and bold, somebody who's kind and sacrificial, and loving and hardworking. And, and there's all of that within what you hear about a Proverbs 31 woman or wife, but it begins and the tone is set to describe that individual with this simple phrase, a wife of noble character who can find. 
And I want to focus on that word noble because when you get to Paul's list in Philippians 4 verse 8, one of the things he says is fix your mind on, we, we last week tackled whatsoever things are true, and the second word and the third word in there are whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are right. And I want to talk about this word noble because when Paul tells us to be intentional about where we fix our minds and he brings up whatever is noble, it's unique. That, that word only appears four times in the New Testament, and every single time that word is brought up, it's in relation to an individual's character. Just like back in Proverbs 31, when it says a woman of noble character or a wife of noble character, the same idea plays out in the New Testament that when the word noble comes into play, it's attached to somebody's character. And what I want to dive into today is what's going on here? Why is this such a big deal? Let's pray, and then we'll jump into uh, the content. God, thank you for what you want to do. Help me to try to be as clear as I can about why this is important, God, especially in the world that we live in. I pray that we would take a check in every one of us to our own hearts, to our own minds, and, and what kind of role this word noble plays in how we live every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is this about? The word noble in that text that Paul brings up in Philippians 4.8 is also the word high thoughts, noble thoughts, high thoughts, or another word is honorable thinking. Thoughts that are honorable towards an individual. And so when you get into this word noble, it's connected to a person's character and it has everything to do with the way that they carry themselves internally, mentally, as they relate to those around them from their relationship vertically with God to their relationship horizontally with other people. A couple of easy examples would be in the world that we live in that's an over-sexualized culture, um, it's easy for men in our world to get away with objectifying women. What I mean is you, you think about you know certain things lustfully or, or or, or you know what they can sort of do for you, but you're not necessarily in, into the idea of they're intelligent, they're smart, they bring a lot to the table, they have a ton to offer in the way of who they actually are, not just what they are, and that's a big deal. So the idea is high thinking, respect for their contribution, their intelligence, their gifts, talents, and their strengths, low thinking, what could we do if blah, blah, blah. So another easy example is this. When someone around us blows it, they make a mistake, they do something wrong, all of a sudden we begin to think, man, what a, what a failure, you know, or what a loser. We, we smear their reputation. We gossip about them. It's especially common with people that we aren't directly connected to, but somebody that we heard about or a manager at our work or somebody in the media or whatever, and we're willing to go right along with what other people might say to slander them and just believe the lies and, and, and you know, kind of write them off and become cynical. At the same time, the other end of the spectrum is to, to, to give in to noble, honorable, high thinking in that same circumstance is to understand you and I are one decision away from ruining our own lives and that we're as susceptible as anybody to making some idiot mistake. That instead of smearing them or slandering them, what does it look like for you to pray for them? Instead of celebrating their demise because you knew they were a loser or whatever, Instead, what does it look like for you to go, what role do I play in helping them get back on their feet because things are obviously not good for them right now? You ever heard the phrase, never kick a man when he's down? One guy said, when is a better time? And the truth is, we tend to think that way sometimes. When you find something out about somebody, it's easy to sort of kick them when they're down because things are already rough and you go, yeah, whatever, and we write them off. That's low thinking as opposed to high thinking. Throughout our day, 
I want to challenge every one of us to consider how are we thinking? Do we think higher things or lower things? Do we take the high road in our mental processes or the low road and give in to worthless thoughts, mean-spirited thoughts, jealous, low-brow thoughts? <clears throat> Paul wrote to many of the churches that we read about in the New Testament, their letters that he wrote, and you're aware of that probably, but 1 Corinthians was one of those letters to the church at Corinth. And we're going to get to chapter 10 here in a second, but all throughout this, this letter, he's writing them, challenging them to look at what they're doing, how they're behaving, how they treat one another, what it means to be a witness for Christ, all this stuff. But when you get to chapter 10, he jumps in in chapter 10 with this conversation about, hey, be aware of what happened to your ancestors, the nation of Israel. And then he says, they are a warning. In fact, let me jump right into 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6. Listen, listen, listen to this. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Did you catch that? Setting their hearts or their intent or their, their gaze on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters putting things before our relationship with the Lord, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. They were indulging themselves. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. And then Paul says it again. These things happened to them as, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And then listen to this. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And then he goes into a verse I've mentioned many times no temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So this whole conversation is the fact that the nation of Israel had given themselves to indulging in certain things that were low-brow things. They were indulging themselves in idolatry and the worship of other gods. They were indulging themselves in, in, in weird sexual practices that they shouldn't have been. They were indulging themselves in grumbling, and it says that they, they received the punishment for that sin. And Paul says they were this was written down as a warning to all of us that we don't fall prey to those very same things. In fact, he says, the Spirit of God will give us strength to not camp out on these negative things, but help us live in the way that God intends. And then, and I'm gonna fast forward about nine verses, and the reason is because he's gonna bring up some more history. And then he says in verse 23 and 24, 1 Corinthians 10, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. One of the great tests for you and I in the way that we behave, in the way that we think is, is this constructive and is this beneficial? Is this helping my faith and my relationship with God vertically? And is this helping my relationship with others horizontally? Is it constructive and is it beneficial? Because then he goes on to say, and I want you to repeat after me, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. 
That's at the, at the core, he's bringing up this idea that this is not about you and what you want to do. This is very much about how what you do will affect your relationship with all of those people around you, from your kids to your marriage, the people you work with, to the people you drive around, to the people you shop with, to the family gatherings that you go to. It will affect all of them. And he was warning the church at Corinth, to not operate in a way that's dishonorable. And it begins with where we put our minds because that affects what we will actually do. Now, in Galatians 5, he brings up another list. And this one uh, in particular is a little, um, a little more clear. And he, and he brings up basically you know, one list that's negative and one list that's positive. Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to jump in here in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. If you remember last week, if you heard the message, if not, you can always listen online. It says, you were called to be free. John 8, Jesus reminded us that we were, we were set free by his work. And he says this, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, and this is key, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, Paul is saying that for you and I, it's easy to, to bite and devour one another and destroy each other because we take on lowbrow thinking and we allow anger, frustration, hatred, bitterness, worry, panic, all of these things to take over. And it's amazing how that hinders our ability to treat people the right way. And then he says, so I say, meaning the solution for you and I to not live indulging the sinful nature is to live by the Spirit. For many of us in here that would say we've given our lives to faith in Christ, we believe in the message of the cross, this is a huge deal because what it means is when you offer your life to Christ in repentance and, 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 and you know, God forgive me and come into my life, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. So when he says, walk by the Spirit, he's saying, you and I have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, revealing how we ought to live, helping us understand what we should do and what we shouldn't do. He says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he says, and listen, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a reason he says that, and we're going to get to it in a second. But, verse 22, and we've heard this many times, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why does he say that? What he's saying is there's nothing restricting this fruit from producing and producing and producing in your life. He's saying that when you and I live by the flesh, here's a list of things that identify where am I at? How am I living? 
Are these things part of who I am? Do I have fits of rage? Is there jealousy and envy in me? Am I given to sexual immorality or do I do things I shouldn't be doing or even think things I shouldn't be thinking? So he comes back to this conversation and says, here's the bad side, but here's the good side. And these are the things that when you're surrendered to the Holy Spirit in your life, these are the things that flourish. So let me go back over them and ask you, Do you see yourself growing in your ability to love people around you? Love God? Do you have a greater sense of joy maybe than you've had because your your faith is growing and as you lean into your faith, you realize in the midst of a whirlwind of tough circumstances, you can hold on to a deep-seated joy because Christ is always with you? Do you have a peace beyond understanding that, by the way, Paul describes right before Philippians 4.8? In verses, uh, chapter four, verses four through seven. <clears throat> Do you have a, a greater patience? When was the last time you were surprised at your ability to be patient in a situation? You're like, it's the opposite for me. You're like, I think that's fits of rage, right? That's the opposite. But that's, I mean, like, are, you, are we growing in our ability to be patient in the midst of things that are gonna make our blood boil? Are, are we marked by kindness? If we talk to the people that work around you, how would they describe you? Would they say, they're so kind? Would your neighbor say, man, they're so kind? Or they'd be like, nope, jerk. (laughs) Goodness, a sense of high morality, goodness, faithfulness, stick-to-itiveness in relationships with others and with Christ. You stick in there, you, you, you see it through. You're willing to be there for people in tough times and not just bail because all of a sudden they're high needs. Gentleness, self-control, are these things growing in your life? Now, when he brings up the negative, <laughs> the negative list, remember he says, I warn you as I did before that if you live like that, you're not going to inherit the kingdom. Now, we go, well, what is that about? Let let me go back to Galatians 5 in verse 24. Those, listen, this is the answer. Those who belong to Christ, if you say you're a follower of Christ, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit, not becoming conceited, provoking, and envying each other. He goes back to, if you say you're really a follower of Christ, and you're on this journey of of wanting to be more like Christ, then these things ought to be growing because if they're not growing in your life, if that's not evident, then guess what? You're gonna miss the kingdom because your heart's not really there. You're missing it. When we were driving here this morning, um, it was Stella and I, she's our 12-year-old, and she's sitting in the back. I said, Stella, we've been gone for a few days. Anything you've been reading in the Bible lately? She goes, you know what, yeah. Um, Hudson and I were reading the book of Jonah this week. I said, Jonah, uh, how, how come? She goes, well, Hudson picked Jonah. So I said, we'll read Jonah. So we read Jonah. I said, isn't that an odd book? She goes, yeah, it really is. I go, so tell me what you learned in Jonah. She goes, well, um, he didn't really do what he was supposed to do. I said, no, he didn't do what he was supposed to do, did he? No, he didn't do that. And so there's this crazy part where you know, he's eating my whale, he ends up in the ocean, whatever, and, and then he finally like repents and, and then he goes and does what he's supposed to do. I said, right. He goes and does what he's supposed to do, right? Yeah. I said, then how come the book ends so weird? She goes, I know what you mean. Because I thought that they just finished writing it without finishing writing it. Like it was incomplete. 
And so I'm like, right, so what is that about? She goes, well, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. I said, no, no, it's deeper than that. I said, what happened? She goes, well, um, he, he, he goes and preaches to the, 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 the Ninevites and they repent. And then he's mad they repent. I go, you know why? She goes, why? I said, because Jonah was a racist. Jonah didn't like those people. And so Jonah did what he was supposed to do because he did what God told him to do, but he didn't do it because he wanted to do it. He didn't do it excited that they would repent. He did it angry that they repented. He literally, at the end of the book, complains, you know, God, how dare you? I knew that you were a gracious God and that if I preached to them, they were gonna repent. I knew that was gonna happen. How dare you, Lord? So what's the problem? What's the lesson in the book of Jonah? Sure, it's a lesson on obedience, but you know what else it is? It's a lesson on obedience, not just outwardly, but inwardly. That instead of, of being racist against a whole people group that he didn't like, what if he loved them and cared the way God does you and me? See, once again, in this conversation, when it comes to, to noble thinking, honorable thinking, it has everything to do with our view of God and therefore our view of others. <clears throat> How we view Jesus should impact us. See, the, the easy thing here would be this. For almost anyone in the room that's relatively familiar with the two lists I just read, which one represents Jesus? The first list? How many would say the second list? How many go, I don't really know. Okay, I'm still working on getting some clarity here. Okay, first list, drunkenness, orgies, factions, dissensions, slander, all this. How many of that represents Jesus? Okay, good, no hands, we're good so far. Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How many think that represents Jesus? Raise your hands. We're a deodorant church, you gotta wear deodorant. Hands up, okay, there you go. Okay, that's the list that represents Jesus. Now, why is that a big deal? Because absolutely the most important thing for you and I to understand about Jesus is that he paid the price for all of our sin. And what he does is he offers us his life for a swap of ours, that our death in sin for the life that he gave. So he died on the cross for all of our sins, paid the price. We believe we can believe on what he did and invite him to forgive us and make him the Lord and we're good and we get a fresh start. And that's awesome. And we need that and you need that. But the second most important thing is understanding Jesus was the perfect human example of how to live. And we know Jesus does not represent the first list. And we know that Jesus represents the second list. That's how easy it is. Now, the challenge is, how do we live this out? Anybody, um, anybody ever heard of the golden rule, deodorant church? Anyone? We're going we're to rename our church that, by the way. It's going to be all. You go to deodorant church? I go too. Look at this. <laughs> smells amazing. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. All right. So there's other great churches though. There's on there. Um, <clears throat> the golden rule. Okay. I'm going to make someone quote it. So how many know the golden rule? Who wants to do that? Who's ready? Okay. All right. Renee. Treat others how you wish to be treated. And by the way, that, that's biblical. It's good. Here's what I love though. There was a pastor that I listened to a while ago that went, Hey, actually the golden rule is great. But there's an even better rule called the platinum rule. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is that? And so as I'm listening to this message and I've listened to him for a while and I appreciate what he has to say, he goes, there's actually a platinum rule. The golden rule is do to others as you would have them do to you. Here's the platinum rule. Do to others as Christ has done for you. Yeah, all of a sudden we're like, oh golly. Because the golden rule is like, if I slight you and you get ticked off, that, that's how it goes, right? 
but the platinum rule. What has Christ done for you? You ever blown it? Any of us in here ever deserve his grace, his love, his strength, his peace, any of it? No. The platinum rule. Do to others as Christ has done for you. We live in a world where for you and I, we've been slighted by family and we look at people around us and go, I wish I wasn't related to them because they're nuts and I can't stand working with them because I don't like them. And we have all these random thoughts about all these different people in our lives. And that's low brow thinking. Paul says, if you want to have a joy and a strength and God's presence in your life, you've got to hold on to noble, honorable thinking about people around you. Honorable thinking about people around you. That, there are, that nobody does things exactly like you think they should be done. You don't even do that. You think Jesus walked around, people needed miracles done, and, and, and all of a sudden, you know, a couple of lepers come up, and, and, and they walk, and they need healing, and, and he's like, oh, gross, oh. Oh. Ew. I mean, I'll heal you, but Ew. Don't make me put my hand, Lord, not the hands on, just the hands off and just at a distance. Is that what Jesus did? When Jesus encountered the woman at the well, who had been married five times and the man she was currently living with wasn't even her husband? Stay away, unclean, gross. You've been doing all kinds of weird stuff, gross. The woman caught in adultery? What about her? But your religious leaders bring her up. She's caught in adultery. Don't we need to stone her to death, Lord? Ew, she was, she was caught in adultery? What about the crowd that was so hungry that he had to multiply food? Another food miracle? I mean, can't you guys just get some food at home and then come to the meeting? Why do we got to feed you guys? All right, fine, guys. Get some loaves. Get some fish. Let's go. Bunch of chumps out in this crowd. What was Jesus' first miracle? Some of you are on that one. Water into wine. Okay, kid. <laughs> I know that one. God, I got that one nailed. Water into wine. What kind of moron paying for the whole wedding can't pay enough for there to be enough booze till the very end? Yes, I'll turn water into wine, but my goodness, get your budget right, you fine wine. Is that what Jesus thought of people that fell short? Then why do you? Then why do you? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker? Is it somebody who lives down the street or right next door or right behind or right above you in a condo? Then why do you? Jesus doesn't look at you and go, you bozo. And honestly, little side message here, this has everything to do with self-talk as well because some of you do go, I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm worthless. God, you don't care. Does God think that way about you? See, a little bit of last week's message here, but all of a sudden it's like, look, go back and realize who you are. Fight the lies with the truth. You're a child of God. You're Christ's friend. 
You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're beautiful in his eyes. You're royalty. Truth. If Jesus doesn't think that way about people, why would you? (laughs) And that's a tall order for all of us, including me. I've been gone a lot the last few weeks in a lot of different places. And in every one of those places, there's somebody that's always going, hey, and, and this is how, you know, Hey, we got Heather with us today, and, and you know, we're excited to have Heather, and uh, she's going to come up and speak to us in a second here, but um, before she comes up, I, I just want to say, and what am I about to do? I'm about to say a bunch of nice things, right? Hey, before Heather comes up today, um, man, we're excited to have her. She's going to say a few things, but, but man, you know, she, she's always smart and gracious. She's got a lot. She processes things. We just love the way that she thinks. She shared a message over here, and people were really impacted. So when she comes up, man, just, just get excited, and, and she's going to, but we're so glad to have her. She's got a lot to give us today. When you leave here, you're going to be so excited that she spoke to us. Give it up for Heather, right? That's what people do. You don't have to give it up for Heather, anyway. <laughs> you're like, good, because I didn't. I know. I, I, I listened. What, what do we never do? We've all been in settings where somebody's being introduced. We've all seen them. Hey guys, we got Heather with us today and we're super excited she's here. Now, a few days ago, she accidentally drove her car through the garage door and said all kinds of four-letter words. And um, her, her marriage is on the rocks. They're not really doing very well. In fact, it's probably not gonna last the month. But anyways, um, all the way here, she was listening to Lizzo, total mistake, but that's, you know, it is what it is. Um, she's, she's probably gonna be able to say something that will encourage us. Give it up for Heather. And now you clap? <laughs> Get out. There. Security. You never hear somebody introduced like that. Why? Because we love to lie about people? No, at the end of the day, it's because we're trying to look for some of the good that they have to offer. Is she perfect? Are any of the people that get introduced to speak, are they perfect people? Have they done everything right? Are they always an exact example of Christ? Is everything always lined up amazing in their life? No. What we do is we choose to focus on the good. Now, pause right there. Some of you go, you know, you're telling me to think honorably towards others. You're telling me to think nobly of others. And there are people in my life where there is nothing noble. Red flag. If that's immediately where some of your minds go when I bring this message up, that's a red flag. Because there's a good chance that it's not just any one person that you've written off, that you tend to find yourself focusing on the negative about plenty of others. And while that may or may not be true, there's a good chance you tend to look at things glass half empty and nobody measures up the way that they ought to. Caution. All throughout the day, our minds are going somewhere. All throughout the day, do you find yourself thinking upon honorable things about others or not so honorable things about others? When somebody is struggling around you, do you tend to kick them when they're down, saying some bad things, acting a certain way, stepping back so far? Do you find yourself wondering, what would it look like for me to help? What can I do? As you process those people that are maybe at an arm's length in your world, They're a coworker, but you don't know them well. They're a neighbor, but you've never really met them yet. 
You, you, you navigate life around them here and there, but you have your opinions because of what you heard or what you think you know. And does it tend to be negative? Paul says you and I have got to fight to set our, our minds on honorable things for the people around us. Because it's real easy to get nitpicky. It's real easy to think everybody should be just like me. It's real easy to get ourselves in a, in a, in a bind with people because they don't measure up the way we think they should. I love, and, and actually Heather brought this up months ago this last year, I love that phrase in Scripture, make room for each other's faults. Let's be gracious. Father, today, <clears throat> I pray, God, that you would help us, especially in a world where in social media or, or in, in media in general, God, we... we we fall prey to this thing where stuff is written a certain way to get us to click on it. That's how money is made. That's how shares are done. That's all that stuff. And it's, it's, it's based out of fear and it's based out of negativity. And so God, we're trained to be negative. We're trained to think in a certain way that, that boy, if I don't click on that and find the solution, I'm going to end up being an idiot. I'm going to end up missing this or that. And literally in our world, especially today, we're trained on it. That if I can put the right title of a certain article that I wrote that, that induces people to click because somehow they got to know the answer or they're going to miss it, or they got to know the answer or they're going to get sick, or they got to know the answer or they're going to miss a fortune, or whatever it would be, we click on it. But it creates in us, it trains us to be looking at the negative. And all of a sudden, this burden of fear, this burden of discouragement, this burden of hopelessness, in a weird way, it becomes a drug and we don't even notice. And I think, God, it's that much more important. What would it look like for us to think noble thoughts, honorable thoughts? And God, sometimes it's people right in our circle of influence in our own home. And sometimes it's people at an arm's length in our community. And sometimes it's people all the way across the world that are some famous this or that. But no matter what it is, God, help us to realize if we live thinking low brow, we're ruining our ability to have joy and peace. And at the end of the day, the book of Philippians is all about how to hold on to joy and to peace. And we especially need it in our world. Forgive us. Each of us in this room where we find ourselves getting jaded we're not thinking like Jesus. We're not doing what we ought to be doing that way. Help us lean into you and believe. Focus on things that are honorable in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.